All right. Well, look, let's take the Word of God for a moment and uh, let's jump in it. Anybody got anything you want to uh, share? Anything you want to give away? Anything you've gleaned out of Matthew or anywhere else you've been reading? You always know you have that liberty to, um, to share wherever you've been at, whatever God's been showing you. I want you to talk about it. One up, yeah, because you know, think about it like this. It is each, each. They call Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Some people refer to it as the Synoptic Gospels because they are very similar in their their flow. They each have a different audience, though, with a different writer, and these writers. God uses their personalities in their writing, but they have an objective. Like Matthew's gospel is directed toward the Jew. He's writing toward his own people. That's why you won't find Matthew explaining Jewish customs. He doesn't go in the detail of why they do this, what this is all about, and why... Because he's talking to an audience, his whole objective is the right to a group of people who are aware of what they were doing and why they would do what they were doing. So he is unveiling to them that Jesus is the king. He is the king of the Jews. He is the Messiah, the anointed one for whom God has been promising was coming. That is his objective in writing to a Jewish audience with the whole point of making it very clear that Jesus is their king. That's why he takes them back to Abraham because he is the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham through David and he's on that kingly line. So that's, that's why his, his work is in that light. But Matthew doesn't necessarily follow a chronological flow. Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel are more... Hey girl, I see you. They have a, a flow to them. Come here. Come see. Oh boy. This juicy baby. Huh? Where are you going? Oh! <gasps> Oh boy. Say Yeah. <laughs> Mark and Luke's gospel, if you track them out, Luke even says it in the beginning, I wanted to give you a orderly account of the life of Jesus. And he takes us back all the way to Abraham because I mean all the way back to Adam. Because Luke's objective is the right to a Gentile world to prove that this Jesus brings us all the way back to the second Adam, the, the Son of Man, and that He's the Redeemer of all the world. I know. He's the Redeemer for everyone because all of us have fallen in sin. So His objective is, is different than Matthew's objective. His audience is different. So he's going to explain some things about Jewish customs that Matthew's not going to do. 
Now, Matthew would jump, for an example, like chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. It actually happens later on in. She sees my mic. Happens later on in. Uh, So Matthew is not a very good gospel to read for a chronological order. Are you waving? (laughs) So the best way to to really look at a chronological flow, how many of y'all, let me give you an app you could look up that has some really good resources in it. You might already have. It's called the Blue Letter Bible. Anybody have that app, Blue Letter Bible? It's a free app. It's really, really good in the sense that it gives you a lot of different resources that you can have access to. The Blue Letter Bible. You can go in the app store and get it, or you can go just look through your Safari. On a search engine, you can go to the Blue Letter, but they do have an app, and I can show you what it looks like on your phone when you're looking for it. I told Stephanie the other day to download it because it, it, it's, got a, it's a good tool. Now, you will need the Internet access to use it and I noticed in there they have a section when you look at the commentary side and if anybody has any questions on how to use it just ask me and I'll show you but it gives a really good chart of the gospels all four of them and it takes the 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 things that Jesus did and gives a header on it and then it, it'll show Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then every time in the, in the chronological flow of his life, of the Gospels, it's going to give you when Matthew talked about it, say Luke doesn't mention it, but Mark talked about it. And then John's going to talk about a lot of stuff that none of them talk about. That's why John's not grouped in those three synoptic Gospels. John's intent was to prove or write to the world that Jesus is God. That was his whole message. The Word of God had become flesh. That was his objective. That this Jesus is God in flesh. Gospels. I've got a Bible book that's like that. It's the harmony of the Gospels. And what people have done is harmonize all four Gospels and put them on everything that Jesus did And where Matthew talked about it, then Mark talked about it, then Luke talked about it, and John talked about it. And they all don't talk about the same thing at the same time. And it shows you where he was at. And that's how you keep up with what gospel was saying what, because you got to pay attention where he was at, who he was talking to, and then you can piece some of these things together. But some people have already done that. And they've done a great job at it so that you actually don't have to go through the details of all of it. And you can just look at some of these charts and say, okay, I see that though Matthew talks about it here, this actually happened later in his ministry. Matthew's just not giving us a chronological flow. It's like he inserts something in there um, to, to make a point that flows good with his thought process, but it wasn't in the direct timing like Mark's gospel would keep you in order. Luke's gospel keeps you more in order compared to um, Matthew's gospel. So that's one of the things that we want to take a peek at. Each one of them, like we said, has a different audience with with a different intent. That's why Matthew is not going to say what Mark says when they say the same thing. Or when Luke says it, because they're going to, one of them or two or three are going to get into more detail about something than the other. 
But no matter how you look at it, it's how they were seeing it themselves and how the Spirit led them to see. And what we get to do is pull it together and get a better picture of it when we look at all of the Gospels at the same time. Look in chapter number 3. Chapter number 3 for a moment. Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. This right here is the work, the work of grace in every kind of way. This is how God works. This is how He works with us. This is what ought to be happening in our everyday life. I'm going to read it. Mark 3, 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee for the purpose. He came to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him, and when he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now this historical reference is really what we find or what should be happening in our everyday life. Different context, different setting, but the same exact thing ought to be happening in our everyday life. For an example, Jesus came as promised to John. God had already told John Jesus was coming. John had already said, I'm the baptized one that I'm not even worthy to unloose this sandal strap. Isn't that what he said? Wasn't that a prophetic thing? As Isaiah said, there's going to be one in the wilderness making way straight and preparing the way for the Lord, for the coming of the Lord. This was all as promised. This was all based on the Word of God. So we look at our life. Everything we do in life ought to be based on the promises of God. Ought to be based on the Word of God. Amen? That's how we ought to live our life. Not just haphazardly, not just doing our own thing, not just going about life our way, but no... We're hearing, we're working, we are, we are doing what God has promised. We're trusting in His promises. But notice, He came to John, second thing, He came to John for a purpose. Scripture says, verse 13, He came from Galilee, He came to John at the Jordan to be baptized by Him. Y'all know the Bible does teach us, and we know by experience, that when you are born again, when we are born again, and made a new creature in Christ, Jesus comes and lives inside of us. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. He does that by the power of His Spirit. No different than Jesus coming to John. That's what happens in our life. Jesus comes, He and His Father comes to live in us. Just like He came to John. It's based on a promise. And he comes with a purpose. He came to be baptized. He comes to fill us up. Third thing we see, he came to what? Work with John. Notice what he says here. Verse 14, and John, he tried to prevent him, 
saying, I need to be baptized by you and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for who? For us, for us to fulfill all righteousness. Not just for Jesus to fulfill all righteousness, but what? For us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus comes to live within us so that we can fulfill all righteousness with him. It's not that he does it by himself. He does it with us. He does what he came for a purpose and he came to work with John, with him. So we see the fourth thing. He came to fulfill all righteousness. Now, what does that mean? To fulfill all righteousness. This was the will of God. This was the purpose of God. This was the promise and the plan of God. So doing what he did by coming to John, coming to the Jordan, coming for him to baptize him for that purpose was all part of fulfilling the perfect will of God. And John was just as much included in that as Jesus was included in that. And when we are working with God, he comes and lives within us. He comes and gives us promises and purposes. When we work with him in faith, we're fulfilling the righteousness of God in him. I mean, this, this is grace right here. This is what is to be going on in our everyday life and what is happening. He came to John to work with him to fulfill the will of God. There's no way God's will will be fulfilled in our life without Jesus. Amen. There's no way the will of God's going to be fulfilled in the kingdom of God without Jesus working with and in His people. We work with Him. We are co-laborers with Him. And when we are working with Him in faith, He comes to us with a purpose. And we, just like John, often think the same way. How can I work? How can I baptize you? You should be what? Baptizing me. How can I work with you? You should be working for me. I, and he does. But we work with him when we are what? Working with him in faith. So what we find in this, we see he came to fulfill the will and the work of God. He came to fulfill the glory of God through the witness of Jesus and the work of his servant. This little section of verse 13 through 17 ought to be the example of what goes on in our daily lives on a consistent basis. Jesus comes to us. Jesus fills us. Jesus leads us. We work with him by faith. And through faith, we bring glory to God in fulfilling the will of God and all righteousness in his name. God's got a work for us to do. And we trust him in that. And this is what it, this is the, it is fitting, he said. It is proper. This is the right thing for us, John, to do to fulfill all righteousness. You work with me. I work with you. And we fulfill the glory of God together. Amen? That's just how it works, and that's how it works in our everyday life. Right here. I'm just glad he'll come to us, amen? amen? And he comes to us with a purpose. He comes to work with us, 
He comes to use us. That we get to be co-laborers in the work with him. And when we do and do it in faith, we're fulfilling the righteousness of God, fulfilling the will of God, bringing glory to him through working with his son. What was Jesus' message? Something that John, excuse me, Matthew's gospel, it's exclusive to him, I think, if I'm not mistaken. What I've been digging through, I've been looking at a lot of different stuff on it. I'm pretty sure he's one of the only ones that mention it, and he mentions it quite a bit. I mentioned it Sunday. Be looking for when he says the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. He's the only one who uses that term. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is near, at hand, before you, present. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. It's, it's, it's the other gospels, including Matthew, he says it too. You'll see it. He's not only going to say the kingdom of heaven. Matthew's also going to refer to the kingdom of God. But no other gospel refers to the kingdom of heaven. They all use the kingdom of heaven. Of God, And this is something that he is making a point to the Jews in the fact that he is the kingdom, the realm or the dominion of him who fills the heavens. Of him who fills the heavens and he who fills the heavens also fills the earth. And it is in that dominion, that domain that realm of the heavenly kingdom has come near to us is near is within reach as a matter of fact it even tells us it's within us when we believe this kingdom or the realm or the righteous reign of god is near and that's what jesus preached repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand as I think it's what, chapter 4? Look in chapter 4, verse 17, when it says that, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, it's not always going to be mentioned that he preached, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This passage is telling us this is exactly what John preached. John said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hand. Now, Jesus takes up this same message and begins to preach, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And therefore, it's telling us that he, this was a consistent message that he preached there on out. Even when it's not highlighted that he preached it, that's what he was preaching. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Turn. The word repent has the idea of a change of mind. To reconsider how you view things because the realm or the dominion of heaven is at hand. It is before you. And uh, other passages help us understand about repentance. For an example, I'll give you a couple to look up. A couple to look up before we go. Luke 24, 47, you can write that down. Luke 24, 47 simply says that repentance and remission of sins will be preached in Jesus' name. Started in Jerusalem and the rest of the world. Acts 5.31 talks about that he, Jesus came to grant repentance and life to Israel. Acts 
Acts 11.18. That's when they were contemplating about the Gentiles and receiving grace. And they said, hey, the Gentiles, God granted them repentance to life and remission of sin just like He did for us. So this repentance is a, is a change of mind, but something has to happen in us for us to have that change of mind. And that's where other passages in the New Testament tell us what took place in our life when God granted us repentance. Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. Second Corinthians tells us that that repentance happened as a result of godly sorrow. That godly sorrow worked repentance in us. That we turn to God for forgiveness of sin. Second Timothy 2.25 reminds us that God's got to grant the repentance. Just like Acts was speaking of. God gave them repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9, which says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that we all come to repentance. And then a great picture of what happens in repentance is Revelation chapter number 9. Revelation chapter number 9. After all the terrible things that took place, the Bible says the people in the days of the last days during that tribulation time will not repent will not reconsider their ways. They're not going to look at their ways differently and how they were living. They're going to continue on in their sin. So they don't reconsider how they look at Jesus, how they look at life. And that the reason is they've never, they've never repented. And uh, repentance, you, you change how you look at things. And, and that's the result of what God did inside of us. That's that work of godly sorrow. So when you trace some of those things out that I just gave you, you will see that it elaborates on this message when Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's going to tell us what, where that, that power for repentance came from. And it comes from God. And it comes from God shedding light and creating a godly sorrow within us that we can't help but see things differently in the way we view Him and life. Amen? And you'll, you'll see that. It'll give us some insight on what, what this really means. So keep, and stay with it. Keep digging in it and ask God to help us uh, learn a few things as we walk through. I couldn't help but think about uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Boy, that's tough, ain't it? When you think about the mindset of the kingdom, the kingdom-minded servant, I'm just thankful that I don't have to fulfill and live to that standard to belong to Jesus. I'm grateful that he fulfilled that standard for us. Because I want to tell you, living the, the standard of the Sermon on the Mount is an impossible thing to live it flawlessly. You've got a natural world that lives away, and that's why he keeps saying, you've heard it said, that's how, that's how natural men live. You've heard it said. But I'm going to tell you the kingdom way. And the kingdom way is an impossible way apart from and without Jesus. Amen. Can't do Amen. it. And I'm just grateful he, he fulfilled every one of those for us. And as a result, now he works in us to look more like him as we walk in those kingdom way of thinking and living.
people identify us as children of God when we live in those principles, in those ways. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep thanking Him for being your righteousness and just ask Him to equip and empower you to live for His glory. Because without it in Him, it's impossible. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you tonight. Thank you for again for this rain. We pray for Miss Barbara that, Lord, you'll work these things out, that it will be clear, the doctors will know what to do, that you'll give them insight and wisdom, and that you'll touch her body physically, that this infection, whatever's going on in it, whatever the problem is, will be healed, and that uh, they'll know what to do, and that they will uh, be given an ability and a skill in this area of working with her beyond their capabilities and that you will heal her up, heal her body physically. And we thank you for it right now. Thank you for these that have come out. Thank you for our VBS that is coming up. We just pray your hand of favor and blessings upon it and that we just celebrate and that we invite all the other brethren who don't think they have a part in this of what a major part they play in praying and being available to do whatever is needed. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Love y'all. Y'all be careful.